Yes, wonderful singing. Good morning, Hayden Bible Church. Isn't it a blessing to enjoy the steadiness of every week being able to be together with the saints, singing the word, singing uh, his praises, and, and opening our Bibles? That's a blessing that each one of us is enjoying. Let's go ahead and pray together, and then we'll get started. Uh, Father in heaven, we're so grateful for the new birth that we have in Jesus Christ, our Savior. We're so thankful, Lord, that you brought us who were dead alive together with Christ. Lord, we have a place in glory now. We have a place that's going to be eternal. Lord, thank you today that uh, our eternal life is expressed through singing praises to you, to opening your word and and, and just hearing the sweet sound of your voice. Lord, we want you to be blessed by this time that we have together. We want to sing these praises, and it is music in your heart, to your heart, Lord, from us. We thank you for this special time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be in Luke 10, 38 through 42 this morning. And let's open our hearts to the voice of our great God as I read from our passage this morning, starting in verse 38. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. It's a precious passage. You know, uh, my wife Carlina and I have been t- concerned that we're getting too much sleep. And so we, uh, last week we decided to, to bring a new puppy home. And uh, he's a cute little black lab. We named him River. If you've been to our house, you know we already have a gigantic German Shepherd So we thought the best thing to do would be to add some more stress to our lives and bring home a brand new puppy. And he's not potty trained. He doesn't have any manners. He's kind of wild. He's a little out of control. What else did we have to do while we were sleeping in the middle of the night than take a, a puppy out to potty? So my plan with River is to train him to be a waterfowl duck hunter and a hunting retriever to hunt out of my kayak with me, and he's bred to be kind of a smaller lab, so that'll help with safety in the kayak. You don't want a a big dog jumping out of your kayak because you'll be jumping out with him. So I'm at the beginning of the training program that we're using, kind of a positive click-or-treat training for gun dogs, and the core thought of this program is that steadiness be instilled in the puppy. Steadiness, staying put, not being distracted, not running off, 
Not letting your anxiety on the one hand or your excitedness about what you see in your circumstances or even your boredom because of the mundane situation draw you away from the important thing, the the thing that you, you need to have your eyes on. Because when you're hunting, bullets are flying. Exciting things are happening, fun things if you're a little puppy. Birds set their wings and they drop into your decoys and the wrong thing would be to break steadiness prematurely and run off while it was still dangerous. So steadiness, steadiness is a core concept for everything that we're doing. In our passage this morning, we get a window into a special place of training for Two precious ladies among the Lord's many disciples. The passage is so familiar. It's kind of a special, it's a very intimate image of a passage. It's easy for you and I to put ourselves into this setting, isn't it? It's warm. It's attractive. And we can identify with what the text says. We all know what it's like to be in a home. We, We know what it's like to have guests over at our house. And we also know that it can be stressful sometimes to entertain people, can it? To have company over it. It could be stressful for everyone in the house to to have that company. Even stressful for the dog, by the way. We also know that preparations are involved for that type of a thing. And how easy it can be to turn what should be a joyous occasion into a blithering mess. We've all been there, haven't we? Hey, you get the vacuum, you vacuum the living room, you take out the garbage, you straighten up the living room, I'm going to start dinner. Please keep the puppy from destroying the house. They're going to be here in just a few minutes. Why are you just sitting there? Get up and help. In verse 38 of our passage, company was on the way. As we step into the setting, we're at the home of two sisters, Martha and Mary. And their brother, Lazarus. And you, you remember Lazarus the, and this whole family from John 11. Later, after this visit, Lazarus, their brother, ends up getting really sick. And, and he actually dies. And of course, Jesus, remember, he raises him back to life. John tells us that their house is in Bethany. It's a couple of miles from Jerusalem on the east side of the Mount of Olives. And and in the context of our passage, Jesus is traveling with his disciples. The same people, by the way, who've just experienced the overwhelming and conquering power of his great name. Just before our passage, look up to verse 17. The, The 70 that he'd sent out, they saw even demons were subject to them by the power of the name of Jesus. In verse 18, Jesus says to his disciples, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Jesus, the king of all glory, the mighty and victorious one, the very son of God, had come to bind Satan, the strong man, and plunder his house, rescuing souls from the domain of darkness and transferring them into the kingdom of the beloved son, the kingdom of light. The dominion of God had come and his hands and feet, the the disciples were reigning. They were exercising the authority of this overwhelming kingdom as they obeyed his word in harvesting souls. Later on the other side of our passage in Luke 11, Jesus says, he who is not with me is against me. 
He who does not gather with me scatters. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He came, as it says in Luke 11, that his kingdom come. And with a power even to overcome Satan, the one on the surface that, that seems to be in all authority. His, this, this, the disciples were amazed at the power of his great name. He had their attention. They followed him, listening to the sweet sound of his voice. For millennia, the whole world had been under the complete sway of the enemy. But now in the face of Jesus Christ, through his gospel, Jesus says in John 12, as he's headed to the cross, he says, now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Not just Jews only, all men, but Gentiles from from everywhere, people from every tribe and tongue and nation, people like us from Idaho, snake bitten by sin, on the sure pathway of death, drawn to the cross of Christ as plunder for the king. In the context of our passage, this was the Jesus who had come to visit. It's him. He came to their house. Jesus' disciples had caught a glimpse of his great glory as they exercised the authority of his great name in overcoming the works of the devil. And look back down again at verse 38. Martha welcomed him into her home. The incarnate God of creation crossed paths with a family like yours and mine. He was welcomed into their home and began to speak his sweet, sweet, transforming word into their souls. Is this the same Jesus, the one with all authority, even over the dominion of Satan? Is this Jesus in your home today? Is it the same one? Whose voice do you hear in your household Whose word gives direction in your family's home this morning? It turns out that Martha had a sister in verse 39 that the text says her name was Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. It's likely, or at least possible here, that Mary was seated among other disciples in Martha's house. He was certainly traveling with other people, and we'll learn in a moment that there were hospitality preparations take place, probably a meal needing prepared, one that required many hands, maybe more than three plates. Martha would have been expecting Mary to help with the hospitality. By the way, Mary, this, this woman Mary had a steadiness about her. She was one who abided in Jesus' presence. Jesus was her treasure. We can see her as well later in John 12. After her brother brother Lazarus was raised up from the dead, Jesus was again in their home and while Martha was serving and Lazarus was reclining with him at the table. In John 12, 3, Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. 
She expended that which was precious and costly to her and gave it all to Jesus. Mary was steady here in her devotion to Jesus. She was seated at her Lord's feet, listening to his word as as he visited their home. We just sang about that word, didn't we? In the garden, he speaks, and the sound of his voice is so sweet that the birds even hush their singing. Mary knows the sweet sound of his voice. She knows the sweet sound of his word. Her heart is his. Just above our passage in verse 25, Jesus is speaking with an expert in the Mosaic law. Look up and look up to that verse in, in 25. This lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And, and he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Here Jesus is quoting his own word from Deuteronomy. As Moses is teaching Israel about life as they enter into the land, the the nation needs steadiness. They need to be immovable. They need singularity of mind and purpose. So Moses is preparing them. He says in Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house on your gates. Israel needed the steadiness of the reliable, sweet word of God, both for their safety and for his glory to be fully manifested as they enter the land. Their steadiness demands complete, exclusive, and total devotion to him. Heart, soul, mind, and strength, all that they are must be given fully to him. The legal expert in Luke 10 didn't have a heart for this. Instead, he wanted to justify himself. He was more concerned about that than he was submitting to the word of God. Yet here in our passage, in verse 39, Mary was steady. She loved the Lord her God with all her heart and soul and strength and mind. She had a singularity of mind and purpose It was to know her Jesus, to hear his word. In a sense, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus, her Savior, as Peter later writes. Well, Mary was exhibiting steadiness in her singular devotion to Christ and his word at rest in her place of submission at his feet. Look down at verse 40. Martha, on the other hand, was distracted. She was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? 
and tell her to help me. How many of us have asked Martha's question? Lord, do you not care that I work 60 hours a week to make enough money for my family? Lord, do you not care that my husband has gone all day and I have four kids at the same time to take care of and I have no time to read my Bible? Do you care? Lord, do you not care that I have this disease that's destroying my body? Lord, do you not care that my plate is so full of church Bible studies and ministry teams and workbooks to fill out and responsibilities that put me involved in everything here, serving and helping, wonderful things at the appropriate scale, yet I'm exhausted and I can't even hear your voice. Lord, do you not care that it seems like I'll never mature in my faith? That I'll never be free of this besetting sin. That the worries of this life seem to have have a louder voice than the word of my Jesus. Lord, do you love me? Then why are my circumstances difficult? Why am I sad if you love me? Why do I feel down one more time? This question Martha asks sounds familiar from another context. Remember from Mark 4, the disciples were crossing the Sea of Galilee and Jesus was with them in the boat. Remember this passage? Verse 37, And there arose a fierce gale of wind and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. This is a familiar question, isn't it? Lord, do you not care? But in a sense, it's not really a question, isn't it? Martha's question was really a form of an accusation. Distracted with all her preparations, unsteady, without singularity of mind and purpose, not stayed upon Jehovah, Martha came up to the Lord to accuse him of not caring for her. Lord, she says, do you not care? It appears to me that based on my current circumstances, you don't care for me. You're just like everyone else. I do all the work. I'm exhausted. I can't even smile anywhere. I am so done. I just want to be happy. Remember Moses uh, from Numbers had a similar reaction to his circumstances. In Numbers 11 verse 10, Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, each man at the doorway of his tent. A stressful situation. A lot of responsibility. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, and Moses was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you been so hard on your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight? Do you not care? That you have laid the burden of all this people on me. Was it I who conceived all this people? Was it I who brought them forth that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing infant to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all these people? 
For they weep before me, saying, Give us meat that we may eat. I alone am not able to carry all this people because it's too burdensome for me. So if you're going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once if I have found favor in your sight. And do not let me see my wretchedness. Like the disciples in the boat and like Moses in the wilderness, Martha was in, the, in a tumult in her mind. She had internal thunderclouds of emotions where flashing lightning were, were everywhere the, and it was starting fires wherever they touched down. And in the middle of her storm, she even turned on her sister. In fact, she takes the enemy's side and she accuses the brethren in a sense. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all this serving alone? Don't you care about that? I have to do all the work. I'm the only one who seems to keep this household together. I'm the one who has to prepare. I'm the one who has to serve. I do all the dishes. I'm the only one committed to this household. I'm the only one who cares. There's echoes of this heart later in Luke 18. The Pharisees stood and, and was praying to him, this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like all of the other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. I keep this house together. In a sense, Martha says, I do all the heavy lifting around here and no one gives a rip. Martha was burdened down with her cares. The load was heavy and exhausting and she was responding to her circumstances in a sinful way. It was a sinful way that commonly leads people down into a spiral of anxiety attacks and depression. We all know this downward spiral. We see a problem. We respond to it. Something that we don't like. Something that makes us uncomfortable. Something that we would rather not have to see or deal with. So we we, we respond to that problem in a sinful way, a way of unbelief, questioning the heart of our sovereign Lord, questioning the sovereignty of our sovereign Lord, then that leads to another complicating problem and another inappropriate response in our emotions. And we continue down, 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 spiraling ourselves into the fetal position on the couch. We're anxious and we're depressed. Of course the Lord loved her. He would go to the cross to redeem her. And he disciplines those he loves. He exercises them and corrects and trains them toward mature steadiness. And sadness and difficulties and hardships informed by his word are the means by which he transforms his people. Listen to the New Living Translation in 1 Peter 4. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised means it's expected. This isn't a surprise to your sovereign Lord. 
as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. Your burdens, your sadness, your temptations to anxiety and depression, standing at the decision point of the downward spiral, they're ironically about your joy in him. He's training you for steadiness. When he still lived at home, our son Eli He would always come home from NIC or from his job with this gigantic backpack on his back full of books or whatever, his clothes for work or whatever. And he just, I don't know why, just because he was being a goofball, but he he always just kept wearing it all around the house. And it always reminded me of Christian in Pilgrim's Progress with a heavy burden on his back. And I would always tell Eli, you need to leave your burden at the cross, lay it down. But Christ takes our burdens. We give them to him. Respond to him in a steady way. Look to his glory. And he's going to give you peace. Back to our passage. And again from verse 40. In her distraction, Martha accusing her Lord, accusing her sister, carrying the big burden at the precipice of the downward spiral. She even assumes the Lord's place so that everyone hears her word and listens to her command as she even incriminates others for their lack of faithfulness. Again from verse 40, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. Martha commands the Lord. Instead of hearing his voice, instead of being in the place of steadiness and submission to her Lord seated at his feet, she makes sure he can hear her voice. Do you pray that way too? You pray like Martha? I, I know I find myself praying that way a lot. Lord, I need this. Lord, wouldn't, be, wouldn't it be best for your kingdom if that? Lord, could you help them see things my way? Please do what I want. Lord, tell her to do what I want. Tell him to be what I want. Look back at verse 41 for his response to her. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. How gracious is our master that he would even point out the delusions of our stumbling hearts. What a kindness Jesus gives Martha and to us in the midst of her real life concerns. And, and, in, and his kindness is as simple as this. It's as simple as this. He spoke his word into her life. When the word made flesh says you are worried and bothered about so many things, it's not just someone's opinion. 
Someone who doesn't have the slightest idea of your true heart. It's not someone who can't truly understand your circumstances or someone who hasn't been tempted like you or someone who hasn't been mocked or unjustly accused or misunderstood or even abandoned by those who are close to them. It's someone who we can draw near with confidence. Draw near to his throne of grace so that we could receive mercy when we deserve condemnation and find grace to help us in time of need. In her moment, Martha wasn't stayed upon Jehovah. Her devotion to him was distracted. She wasn't steady. She, she was worried and bothered. Anxious even, headed towards a panic attack. Maybe, maybe she'd had a previous devotion to him, but today, as our text says, she was distracted and worried and bothered. And the state of her soul was reaping havoc on her steadiness and simplicity of devotion to her Savior. And bearing the subsequent fruits of her abiding in his love. Martha was worried about a lot. She was bothered about a lot. In truth, truth, though, she needed one thing. She didn't need another YouTube preacher. She didn't need another book like I always think I need. She didn't need a drink. She didn't need pills. She didn't even need essential oils in this case. In fact, in verse 42, Jesus told her, Only one thing is necessary. One thing. Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. Oh soul, are you wearied and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior, a life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Stayed upon Jehovah. Hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised perfect peace and rest. Only one thing is Necessary, the master tells her. Sit at my feet. Submit yourself to me. Listen to my word. I'm your greatest need. Do we believe here at Hayden Bible Church so that Jesus Christ is sufficient? That, do we believe in the sufficiency of his spirit-empowered word? We sure do. Mary has chosen the good part. She is receiving the good portion. Her plate is plated with a satisfying meal. In Lamentations, Jeremiah reminds us of the sufficiency of our God. He says in verse 23, 24, he says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. Come to me, he says, and I will give you rest In Matthew 11. Remember from last week, Pastor Steve preached from Psalm 19. It said, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, then much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Just in living out my life. 
Mary is seated at his feet, listening to his word. This one thing is necessary, he says to Martha. We need the word of Christ richly implanted into our souls. We need hearts stayed on him alone, attentive to him and devoted to him. Back to verse 42 in Luke 10. In the midst of her turmoil, distracted with her serving and preparations, worried, bothered, accusing, commanding. How could she risk how could she risk believing that Jesus will be enough? How could she risk letting go of her anxiousness that, that seems to serve her so well? How could she risk abandoning her need to control every single aspect of her and everyone else's life? How could she give that up? If she wasn't in control, wouldn't everything fall apart? Isn't she the responsible one? If she wasn't controlling everything and everyone, how would things get done around here? Earlier in Luke, the Pharisees came to Jesus to ask him why it was that his disciples weren't fasting and offering prayers. They said to him, the disciples of John often fast and offer prayers. The disciples of the Pharisees also do the same, but yours eat and drink. What up? (laughs) Jesus said to them, you cannot make the attendance of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? The best thing was for them to be stayed on him. In the context of our passage, Jesus is saying, while I'm here, my people need to be with me, seated at my feet, listening to my word. Then from verse 35 in Luke 5, uh, but the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast in those days. Jesus sitting in Martha's home was amazing. It was an amazing opportunity for her to be in the presence of her Savior, listening to his voice. He had fed thousands of people during his earthly ministry, and he certainly wasn't going to be worried about Martha's table being prepared appropriately. He would even take care of that. The bigger issue was whether her heart was steadied on him. He's the good portion. And like from Luke 5, yes, there will be a need to do these other things. But the singularity of devotion to him was the need of her soul. And spending spending her time with him would be the true sustenance that she needed as she carried out his assignments for her life. Mary had chosen the good part. Martha can too. And so can we. The psalmist says in Psalm 16, The Lord is my portion In Psalm 27, one thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Psalm 73, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 142, I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Finally, from verse 42, Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. 
Mary was worshiping her Jesus. She was meditating on his word, listening attentively to the sweet sound of his voice, opening her heart to his will for her life. Jesus gives assurance here that as his disciple, this will always be the case. The desire of Mary's heart, his presence, his word, his satisfying supply will always be given to her. It will never be taken away, even for all eternity. That's her steadiness. What has you worried and bothered this morning? What has you distracted? I don't know about you, but I can, I can really relate to this passage. I'm often a Martha. And the crazy thing is that I really admire all you Marys. I see it. I wonder if Martha secretly admired Mary's freedom to just rest at Jesus' feet. I know I do. I wonder if she marveled at that. I, I want to grow this way too. Seems like engineers are bred to be Marthas. You know, we're always fixing something or organizing something or managing something, preparing our own good portions. I want my heart to be convinced that the good portion, the, the presence of Christ is the best thing. That time in his word, alone with him, focused on him, worshiping him, meditating on his word, in his presence by faith, is the needful portion that I need. How about you? And that the completion of the tasks and responsibilities that Martha had on her plate were, were just the fruits or the outworking of that quality fellowship or koinonia that I have with my great God. Going back to our new puppy and stealing a really good bumper sticker, I need to bark less and wag more. <laughs> you know, in my mind, it's Mary's seem to have a little bit more of a spiritual relationship with the Lord. They, while I'm distracted and worried and bothered, Mary's are submissive to the sweet sound of the Lord's voice, listening to the one they love, steady. While Martha was distracted from the word, Mary was growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know, as believers, you and I, like Mary, we have an eternal portion as well, don't we? Like Mary, it will not be taken away from us. We have a table that has been prepared before us. In fact, we have a communion among the redeemed at the table of the king. A communion at the table of the great victor, the overcomer. In the book of Revelation, our Savior is graciously warning a church seemingly full of Marthas, doing needful and good things, but with mechanical hearts, hearts not steadied on him. He says in to the Ephesian church in Revelation 2.2, he says, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men. 
And you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they're not. And you found them to be false, and you have perseverance, and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. You're great at serving, but your hearts are focused on the service, not the Savior. Come back to me, he says. Love me. And all the rest of this is going to fall into line. Come to me. I am your portion. And that will not be taken away. Have you rested in the Savior? Have you taken your place of submission at his feet this morning? Have you actually heard his voice? Listen to the sweet sound of his voice in John 3. He says, he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Do you believe in him? Have you trusted in his cleansing blood to wash away your sins? Or or do you even agree with him that you're a sinner in need of salvation? If not, did you know that the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress that truth and unrighteousness? Did you know that you'll be accountable for your sin? Or will you come along the narrow way? Will you repent and believe the gospel this morning? Will you finally submit yourself to Christ as plunder from the house of darkness? This morning, as we come to the communion table, if you're not a believer, a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, please pass on this communion today. If you're one of his disciples, please Prepare your heart and let's examine our hearts this morning. And we want to confess any sin so that we can come to the table with a clean conscience. And by the way, if you don't have a communion cup, please raise your hand. We have people that will bring them to you. Raise them high. Let's bow our heads.
Father in heaven, we're so grateful for the provisions that make us whole. Thank you for the communion that we have, the fellowship in the body and blood of Christ, the the new covenant we have in his blood where we're accepted, seated, joyfully in hope of glory. In Jesus' name. Please pick up the bread. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, the apostle Paul recalls to us and says, He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now take the cup up. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this precious passage this morning from your sweet word. Thank you that you have us on a pathway of sanctification and growth and that, Lord, if we're people who are standing on the precipice of a a downward spiral. Lord, thank you that we can just with simple singularity of devotion, Lord, we can sit at your feet and we can hear your word and you'll change us. Lord, thank you for the hard things, the sad things, the the difficulties, Lord, that you bring about to grow us in steadiness. And Lord, we pray that you would receive all the glory from all the work that you do in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.